0: Yeah, I got to meet Mac and Grace in London for our Global Workers Gathering that we do every two or three years uh, with our Brentwood campuses, and if you didn't know, when you partner with us, uh, like Jay was talking about, when you, when you partner with us, you're actually partnering with people all over the globe who are uh, missionaries uh, for, of the gospel, and so uh, I had a great time on that trip, it was super eye-opening for me. Uh, just to know that there are people all over the world in some places where Christianity is is not legal and not protected, uh, that there are people uh, giving their lives for the gospel. And uh, thanks to Wade, wherever you are on the interwebs or at home or wherever, um, to let me do this. Usually I have a guitar in front of me, so if I start doing this or doing this it's because that's what my hands are used to doing Um, but I love working with Wade and I love uh, being uh, really just being Wade's friend it's it's great more even than working with him my wife Amelia and I we just had our second son a couple weeks ago Um, and so if I look or sound like I've been waking up every three hours it's because I have all right so thank you for being patient with me today But I got to bring my other son, Callan, who's three, I got to bring him to church the past couple weeks. And man, I have a newfound appreciation for you parents who get your kids ready, get them dressed, um, at least mostly dressed, and get here mostly on time, and get here and have a seat. Can we just have a round of applause for parents? Yeah. Man, so good. Well, we all love justice. Deep down inside, we all crave for wrongs to be made right. And there's no better example of this than in one of humanity's historic, classic, priceless works of art, Back to the Future. Am I right? I'm right. You know the story. Marty McFly is a cool 1985 uh, teenager, and he travels back in time in a DeLorean, and meets his parents in 1955. Along the way, he has to make sure his dad falls in love with his mom, or else he won't be around. The villain of this story is the infamous Biff Tannen, a classic 1950s bully who picks on Marty's dad, George McFly, and threatens his parents' relationship. You know the, McFly, think, McFly, think, you know that guy? That's him. At the climax of the movie, spoiler alert, sorry you've had 37 years to watch it, Biff is trying to kiss Lorraine without her permission, of course, in the car and George McFly walks up and he opens the door and he says, hey you, take your dirty hands off her, except he doesn't say dirty, he says another word that Wade would not let me say. (laughs) Biff gets out of the car and he grabs George by the arm and Lorraine gets out of the car to help. And Biff pushes her to the ground, and then it happens. George McFly, with his arm held by Biff, this way, you see his hand kind of form a fist, right? And then with the biggest Southpaw left, uh, left-handed punch, he, he knocks Biff out cold in the parking lot there at the high school. Great scene, right? It's amazing. And we love seeing Biff Tannen get what he deserves we love justice at least when it's against someone else when we're the hero of the story but what about when we are Biff Tannen and we are the ones that deserve justice we tend to feel a little bit differently about it then that's where we find the the prophet Habakkuk when we left him last he was lamenting to God about Israel's sin and rebellion God has told Habakkuk that he will use the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, a Gentile nation, to overthrow Israel. And he did not like that answer. How could God use the very wicked Gentile nation to overthrow the Jewish nation, God's chosen people? It didn't make any sense to Habakkuk. He knew Israel had sinned and turned away from God, but he didn't like God's answer. In chapter 1, he complains about injustice and wants Israel to turn back to God. And God told him he would send justice. And to lay some groundwork on that word justice, let's talk about that for a minute. It, the word justice is used in our culture today in many ways by secular philosophers, political leaders, social reformers. It's in our culture so much it probably means different things to different people. We've all heard of social justice or racial justice and other qualifiers like that, but that's not what God is talking about. The Bible is clear about what justice is and what it is not. Justice is not subjective, relative, opinion from man or biased in any way. Justice is objective. It's absolute. It's fact. It's from God and it's impartial. True justice reflects God's character, it's impartial, it corrects wrongdoing, it judges sin. It has to do with truth, righteousness, and the correct order of the world. And today we'll hear a little bit more of God's answer and what it means for us. So if you have a Bible, turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. It's sort of in the middle of the Bible, you may need to use the contents, no shame on that. If you don't have a Bible, we always uh, love for you to bring one. But if you don't have one, we have some tables with some Bibles. Feel free to grab one. And would you stand as we read Habakkuk chapter two, verses one through four? Chapter two: I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I. Should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated, he is without integrity, but the righteous one. Will live by his faith. Lord, would you um, open our hearts to hear what you have to say uh, to us in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a seat. So, if you're a note taker and you're like, how many points is this guy going to have? I'll tell you, I'll have four points, okay? So, if you want to, you can write down one, two, three, four. We'll fill them in as we go. Number one, God answers those who call out to him. Look at verse 1. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should say about my complaint. Last week, Wade made the point God loves the honest doubter who talks to him instead of about him. Habakkuk doesn't just complain to God and leave, he waits eagerly for the Lord. He says, I'm going to stand actively. And look intentionally for the Lord's reply. Do we do the same thing in our own life? Or do we talk to God and then run to the next thing? Verse 2. The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. Many times a word from the Lord in the Old Testament would be described as a vision. God didn't want this to be a mystery, so he tells Habakkuk to write it down clearly. And just like he told Habakkuk, he has clearly inscribed his word for us. God answered Habakkuk with an audible voice, but we have the Bible, God's word that speaks to us. And we're fortunate to have access to it 24-7. The Bible is God's vision to us, and it's equally, if not more, clear than his audible voice. His answers to the wrong in your life are found in the great story of the gospel and he will answer you with his word when we call out to him earnestly. So when you see sin and its effects in your life, cry out to God. He hears you and he has answered you with his word. So number one, God answers those who call out to him. Number two, the delay of God's justice is not the lack of God's justice. There are an estimated 50 million slaves across the world today. That's more than in any time in human history. Human trafficking is a $150 billion criminal industry. It's estimated that at least 50 million abortions occur every year globally. About 20% of our youth say that they identify as something other than a man or a woman. There are 9,000 kids in foster care just in Tennessee alone. Suicide rates are on the rise. There's increasing political and cultural division. The statistics of evil and its effects go on and on in our world. So how can a good God allow for this evil to continue? And why doesn't he just do something about it? Does he delay Does the delay of God's justice mean that he's actually not just? Look back at verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. God says, I'm going to move, I'm going to set things right, but I am delaying. Just because there is a delay in God putting things right in the world Doesn't mean that he's not eventually going to. God, though he seems distant here, is saying to Habakkuk, I've got it under control. I have a master plan, and at the perfect time, it will come to pass. Habakkuk himself may not ever even see God's justice come, but God ensures him that it will. God promised to bring justice for everything that is wrong in the world, but in his own timing. So, why does he delay? Look at verse 4. Here the Lord starts to speak to the attitude we are to have. And it speaks to the two types of people in the world. Those with faith in him and those with faith in themselves. Verse 4. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. And that's the, the, the one with faith in himself. Look at this contrast, though. But the righteous one will live by his, what's the word? Faith. This is a pivotal verse in all of the book of Habakkuk. We see this idea of faith all through the Bible, and in the New Testament, Paul and the writer of Hebrews pick up on this theology of faith from Habakkuk and quote this verse three times. The first is Romans 1.17, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, here it is, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, here it is, the righteous shall live by faith. And again in Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We just celebrated Reformation Day on October 31st. You may have been celebrating Halloween. I was celebrating Reformation Day, okay? Okay. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called this idea "sola fide," which means by faith alone. And a great deal of what we believe as Protestants is based on this idea of living by faith. So, what is faith? Faith is a future orientation. It trusts in God's promises. And think about a chair. You're all sitting in chairs right now. You have to trust that chair before you sit in it that it will hold you up. Or a parachute. Has anyone um, been skydiving in this room? Show of hands. Okay, keep your hands up. Yeah, those are the crazy people, all right? (laughs) Stay away from them. When you skydive, you have to have tremendous faith in a parachute. That's trusting it's going to work when you jump out of a plane. In the same way, when we jump out of a plane, we're trusting that God's promises are enough to hold us up. That's the kind of faith that God is calling us to have in him. And here we come to point number three. The delay of God's justice is an opportunity for faith. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Right now, God is holding back his ultimate judgment to give us all a chance to repent. In this common grace, he is waiting to fix all of evil for the right time in order to give as many people as possible, the opportunity to come back to Him and trust Jesus. Many people ask the question how could God allow so much evil in the world? And it's a fair question. But you see, there's an assumption in that question. The person asking that question assumes that they are innocent. But we know that's not the case. Psalm says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And if that's true, then you and I are in that wicked, evil category with everyone else. So what we really want to ask is, why doesn't God get rid of all the evil in the world except for mine? So if God were to just snap his fingers like Thanos and wipe out all of the evil in the world, no one would be left. You and I would be gone too. You see, if God brought his justice directly after every offense, you and I would see his wrath the very first time we ever sinned. You say, isn't God just? Doesn't his character demand that someone pay for sin? I thought he was good. Why doesn't he do something about evil? Well, he has. He poured out his wrath for sin on Jesus on the cross, The righteous one became sin so that the sinful one could become righteous. It's Jesus' righteousness that's imparted to us when we trust him by faith. Thus Habakkuk 2.4 saying, the righteous one will live by his faith. Our faith in Jesus makes us righteous, not what we do. It's the same delay of God's justice that paved the way for the gospel God in his mercy bringing justice against sin sent his son at the perfect time to take his wrath for you and for me. So the delay of God's justice is an opportunity for faith. Number four, when justice finally comes, the result is God's glory. Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20 is often referred to as the five woes. If you have time later today, go read it. And they describe the types of things that God will ultimately bring justice against. But if you look in the middle of those woes, look at verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Every town, city, country, people group will ultimately bow to King Jesus. We already sang about that today. The King is coming. And as verse 14 points out, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. One of the great ironies is the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who God is using in this text is also going to bow to King Jesus one day. God works all things for his glory, even the difficult or the unexplainable. Make no mistake, God has a master plan for his glory. And Wade said last week, what Habakkuk really wants in this situation is heaven. And it's what we all really want. When we see injustice in the world, something inside of us just longs for heaven. In heaven, there is no more hunger, no more sickness, no more poverty, no more abortion, no more corruption, no more sexual identity crisis, no more prejudice. No more ethnic partiality, no more sex slavery, no more fatherlessness, no more addiction, and no more death. And in all of history, God has had a master plan for his glory. But between now and heaven, there's going to be suffering and death and tears, and we live in the middle of here in heaven. So God is good, and he's bringing about heaven, he's bringing about his glory, But where today do the goodness of God and your circumstances feel incongruent? Where are you waiting on him like Habakkuk? Husbands and wives, in your questioning to God about your marriage issues, do you have faith in him when he says, wait? Singles in the room, if, if in your questioning to God about there seemingly being no one out there for you, does your faith increase when he says, wait? Parents, and you're questioning to God about how incredibly impossible your child is, do you lean into faith when he says, wait? What would it look like for we as a church to rise up in the middle of hardship and be a church of unwavering faith, even when we don't understand what God is doing? See, in my, in my own life, when my firstborn son, uh, when he was born, he had a, a ton of health issues that we didn't know about until he was born. And I remember being at home and him being in the hospital as an infant and crying out to God, please don't let my son die. But through that situation, God was giving me an opportunity to have faith in him. And on the other side of the waiting, I can look back and say, I've never trusted God more. You know, being, being the worship minister here, I've seen countless examples of this faith and people worshiping through the hardships and difficulties of their life. And one of my favorite songs is Because He Lives. Anyone like that song? Great song. And it seems like every time we sing that song, there's someone out there that I know of who is walking through something really difficult and yet they sing anyway. Uh, the, the first time, one of my friends, that they had just uh, had a miscarriage that week and I look out in the middle of the song and there they are sitting out there singing because he lives anyway. I think of a family on Easter Sunday Sitting right up here in the front, I I knew what they were going through. Their son had health issues, and the doctors couldn't—they didn't have any answers for them. And they were here on Easter Sunday, and they sat in the first row, and they husband and wife held hands and sang, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And then most recently, three generations of a family who on Friday had lost a a son, a husband, and a father— On Sunday we're here at church singing because he lives, hands raised in the air. That's the kind of faith God is calling us to have when he says, wait. In closing, uh, the band can can come up. I always like to point out that there are two types of people in the room. Those who have trusted Christ by faith and those who have yet to trust him by faith. If you trust Christ, if if you're saved, if you're a Christian, you will never have to face God's eternal justice, his eternal judgment. Christ bore God's wrath on the cross for you, and it's God's incredible patience that gave us all the opportunity to repent. Your response today is just to thank Jesus for what he's done and to think about the moments in your life where God says wait and how that can increase your faith in him. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, if you're that other type of person in the room, don't wait another day. You might think that you trust Jesus. You might come to church all the time and say Christian things or check a box that says I'm a Christian on a piece of paper, but Maybe you've never actually trusted Jesus. And maybe all the the heartache and the hurting you face in life is God offering you time to trust him. Maybe he's bringing you to rock bottom in order to show you that you need a savior. He's done that for me. He loves you so much and he died for you and he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven and your response today is to turn from your sin for the first time and trust in Jesus for salvation. You may need to take this song and just let it be sung over you and if you want to talk to someone, we have people here available at the end of the service. Or you can mark on your connection card, I want to I want to trust Jesus. But don't wait another day. You're not promised tomorrow. And as we prepare to sing thank you Jesus for the blood would you stand and let's pray. Lord we know that you hear those who call out to you. That we can honestly talk to you and not about you. And Lord, we know that that your delay of justice does not mean that you aren't just or that you aren't going to make things right in our lives or you aren't going to bring about justice upon the earth and bring heaven. We know that your delay is just giving us an opportunity to turn and trust in you for our faith to increase all the more. And Lord, we know when you finally make things right, you will be glorified and heaven will come and all will be well. But Lord, until that day, let us have faith in you. And Lord, I pray for those who don't trust you today that they would turn around, they would repent and trust in you like a parachute, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.